Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are recording on Friday, July 28th, 2023. You're listening to this episode on Sunday, July the 30th, and the rebroadcast on Monday, July 31st. My name is Jasmine, and this week I am here with my friend Janet. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. News has not improved since we last spoke but happy to discuss it with you yeah unfortunately that's that's the truth like you know we give you the straight dope and it's not always encouraging in fact it rarely is (laughs) but you know we're here to give you our perspective on things Um, i hope you're staying as cool as you can out there like where this is the hottest month on record of all time yeah whoo Wooga booga. <laughs> well, for local news, um, I will be talking about a Brooklyn yoga studio that was the target of an anti-Semitic hate crime. Uh, for national news, Janet will be talking about, uh, is it Lyme disease on the rise? Exactly. Lyme disease on the rise. Throughout the country. Uh, For world news, I'll be discussing uh, a string of Quran burnings in Sweden and Denmark uh, and some of the other implications of that. Uh, So I will get started with the local news story. This is from The Gothamist. It was written by Brittany Kriegstein. The article's title is Brooklyn Yoga Studio Targeted in Hate Crime, Mandrew Swastika, Police Say. And I'm going to, it's a fairly short article, so I'll read um, pretty much the whole thing. A cop said a suspect entered Yoga Hell on East 17th Street and Avenue Z on July 18th through the unlocked front door sometime after 11.30 a.m. when the studio usually closes for the afternoon. Although the front door has a code, police said the man came in after someone else left. He then found his way to the fourth floor studio where he wreaked havoc in the common area, removing the studio's mezuzah, a traditional Jewish door marker that contains verses from the Torah on a parchment scroll inside, ransacking the cubbies, throwing soap all over the bathroom floor and unplugging the washer and dryer. He then drew a swastika on the chalkboard with the message, Nazi punks fuck off. Uh, He wrote punks, P-U-N-X, according to photos shared by Katia Riva, the owner. Riva said she was out of the studio dealing with a family emergency when her staff let her know about the incident. At first, they thought it was just a mess, she said. As they were cleaning everything, they realized there was a swastika and somebody did it on purpose. Riva said she is puzzled as to why a stranger would do such a thing. She doesn't recognize the man as any of the clients she's had since she opened the studio in 2017. I'm upset and I feel violated, she said. It can be anti-Semitic. You can tell I'm Russian. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's somebody who is just mentally not stable. Maybe it's kids playing with us. We just don't know. 
As Riva and her staff worked to clean up the mess, they discovered the mezuzah on the floor and the crucial prayer scroll inside missing. She is unsure if the suspect took anything else, but surveillance images appear to show him with a black yoga mat under his arm. In an effort to make students continue to feel safe in the studio, Riva said she is cooperating with the police and asked the landlord to change the building's code downstairs. She also installed her own surveillance system. We're trying to protect students and we are not talking that much about that with them because this is their place of practice and their personal transformation, she said. We're waiting for some news and we're just hoping that's going to stop that's going to help to stop any evil if they can find who did it and figure out why. Reva said she generally feels safe in Sheepshead Bay, but noted that a feeling of insecurity has increased citywide since the pandemic. And this is just an aside, the pandemic is ongoing. So whenever I see things that seem to refer to it in the past tense, I like to just put those parentheses there. The suspect in the hate crime incident fled on foot on 17th Street toward Avenue Z, where police lost track of him. According to surveillance photos, he has tattoos on his arms, closely cropped blonde hair, and a mustache. Um, so yeah, this is a recent story. It was just published today um, that we're recording this on July the 28th. Um, so yeah, scary and unsettling and also kind of confusing uh, the message that they put on the board. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, a lot of us in the city do yoga and a lot of yoga studios, including the one that I most frequently attend, are doing more um, strict ways to access because there's been incidents like this. And I, I know there was an incident when I was in Florida living there, a very extreme incident involving a gun that has made me look and think about whether the yoga studio I visit has kind of a, a locked security system. Like the one that I attend now, you have a buzzer and they can't see have a camera that allows them to decide to let you in and such. Um, but that's just scary to think that, you know, someone will come into any kind of space and, and do something like that. And then with the messaging, you know, just horrific. Yeah, it's very, I think, are you talking about when the gunman went and shot those women? who were doing yoga in the studio, that incident? Exactly. So I was living in Tallahassee at the time, and there were, like, two main studios, and not mine, but the other one had a gunman enter the space, and um, he killed two women and could have killed more if they hadn't have got gotten him down. And that turned out to be a, another incidence of a gunman who had a history of um, hate messaging on his media sites, in this case, towards women. Right. Yeah. But it's... Not, to, not to lessen what happened in this recent incident, too, with hate implied by the messaging. Swastika. Yeah, it's really, especially if they attacked the mezuzah and took the scroll out, that doesn't sound to me like, that's, that to me means like they probably know what it is. And right. looked for it and very deliberately took it down to, you know, do that. Premeditated hate. 
crime. Yeah, and like put a swastika on the door. Like they snuck in behind someone. I don't know what the Nazi punks fuck off would mean. That could be something to try to throw people off. Or maybe it's uh, missing a comma. I mean, I don't know. Are they self-identifying that way? Or are they telling that group? Or it it could, could always be a deranged person but it just they they had enough um, mind to choose a site that had jewish symbolism included in that part of brooklyn and to go in and put that sign so it seems kind of like it's unquestionably a hate crime of sorts yeah for sure and it's like i you know i i think of um the owner who was quoted, who was saying, you know, that she's trying not to talk so much to the children about it because this is like a place where they come and, you know, it's supposed to be a place where you can relax and like meditate and stuff like that. And it's like, that's the goal with these actions. Like they, they target these places where people come to have a sense of like peace Exactly, and a, and a sense of community. And they do stuff like this to purposefully disturb that. Like whether it's a house of worship or in this case, you know, it wasn't a house of worship, but, you know, a place where people come together, like as a group to, you know, Community do something. and spiritual. Yeah. yeah. And also something that's very feminized, you know, mm-hmm. people think of it as like a woman dominant thing, or, you know, it is like most of the people that I know that talk about yoga and practice it. Uh, our women that's also another element of it like finding where people like that gather and to attack it like that it's just so disgusting it's cowardly it's hateful yeah um no that's awful to hear um here in new york and you know it's i think we've talked outside of the radio program and a little bit on on the program about just um, how violence in the country and weapons and and these kind of hate crimes like it's it's making there be a, um, just a general feeling of fear and a lack of trust in your community right you want to go to yoga do your everyday things and think that you're safe in those spaces but when something like this happens, it can be very uh, disturbing on a deep level. Yeah. And it's like the purpose is to make you, it's to rob you of that peace. You know, it's to make you feel like you always have to be looking over your shoulder. Um, like, I, I didn't look too much into it, but I know that there was, um, there's something recent about, Emmett Till and Mamie Till like building like a monument to them mm-hmm. I believe um, and I just it's it's sad and it's like it, it's messed up to that you even have to think that but all I was thinking is like that's just gonna be like a plate like a target where racists are gonna go and like desecrate it on purpose because people shoot up Emmett Till's gravestone constantly like take trips out to deface like the tombstone of a child who was brutally murdered and disfigured 
yeah that's it's like it's, it's to make you stop from having a place to go and like reflect and like honor their memory it's like deliberately trying to destroy that and it's like how, how i mean it's such a brutal murder and such a you know like how how much further can they go they have to take it to the level of after after it all still desecrating his memory that's that's awful yeah it really it really is and like i haven't gone to the um the the black smithsonian like the museum for african-american history in dc it's like i would like to go but that has also become a thing where like people will show up and they'll bring their children in like maga hats and like wearing like racially inflammatory like racist things they'll be laughing like in exhibits and making jokes that are about like slavery and um anti-black violence and it's like that's another example it's like going into these spaces seeking them out to disturb destabilize and hurt you know people that are just trying to have like a sense of community but um whether it's the yoga studio like a synagogue a church like you can't let it stop you right uh, from being in your community and I'm glad that um, Reva isn't letting this stop her. But yeah, it's it's like a spike of this happening is really it's it's scary. It is scary. But like you said, hopefully, you know, people seeing this, you know, places like a yoga studio or house of worship, even if people aren't attending regularly, it has tentacles that reach out to a big community. And when people hear about this, I'm sure they're kind of reasserting their connection to the studio and their bonds. And hopefully it can be kind of an act of solidarity against that kind of hate crime. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, fuck whoever did this, like just terrible, you know, cowardly, just the worst type of person you know, I don't even, I, who knows if this is someone that goes around expressing these views openly, like more and more people are, but there's a lot of undercover bigots too. It's like they wait and they lurk in the shadows and do stuff anonymous and sneak around and all of this, but yeah, I hope he's exposed to the light and it makes other people think twice about doing this because, you know, we all deserve to feel safe. Absolutely. Uh, You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, this is Humanized by Lizzo. We'll be right back.
lift me up though I am tired I'm trying to know what else, why else has this happened One man alone cannot suffice, I've done the research Ignore the rough, inside my bed your lying features No, you can't lay on my shoulder There are spikes and scales in your cheek with just a present In our heavy haste, we love it Love the taste of it, we'll clench your jaw You love it, you love it Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we have Janet with our national news story. So the news article that I'm going to be talking um, about and reading um, an excerpt from is called What It's Like to Live with a Tick-Borne Disease, Chronic Pain, Fatigue, Rashes, As tick territories are expanding, so too are the number of illnesses they cause. The article was posted on the New York Times website by Dana G. Smith on July 24, 2023. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, tick-borne diseases are becoming increasingly common. Between 2011 and 2019, for instance, Cases rose by 25%. That is in large part because of expanding tick territories thanks to migrating deer and mice populations. We're now seeing more cases of everything, said Bobby Pritt, a pathologist and clinical microbiologist who specializes in parasites at the Mayo Clinic. This includes not only Lyme, but other tick-borne infections that used to be rare, like babesiosis. We basically have tick-borne diseases almost everywhere in the United States, Dr. Pritz said. But individual tick species and the diseases they carry vary by region. Lyme is by far the most common tick-borne disease, afflicting an estimated 300,000 people each year, according to the CDC. It is transmitted by the black-legged or deer tick, which is most prevalent in the Northeast and Upper Midwest, but is spreading south. The ticks are most active between spring and fall, and Lyme cases tend to peak during June and July, though it's possible to get bitten year-round. Initial symptoms of Lyme typically include fever, chills, fatigue, headaches, and achiness. A round reddish rash appears in roughly 70% of cases, but it often doesn't show um, doesn't look like the bullseye people think of, said Dr. John Alcott director of the Lyme Disease Clinical Research Center at John Hopkins University. Without a rash, Lyme can be challenging to identify because its early symptoms are similar to those of many other infections. 
A blood test can detect antibodies the immune system makes in response to the bacteria that causes it, but those tests often don't come back positive for several weeks. If untreated, the infection can travel through the bloodstream and infect other tissues in the weeks and months after the tick bite. In rare cases, people can develop meningitis and Lyme carditis. In about 60% of untreated Lyme cases, the disease spreads to the large joints, especially the knees, and causes painful inflammation and swelling called Lyme arthritis. Fortunately, most people treated for Lyme disease recover. The antibiotic helps quell the infection and there are no long-lasting effects, though it may take several weeks for people to recover fully. However, in approximately 10 to 20% of cases, a condition known as chronic Lyme or post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome can occur. The symptoms of chronic Lyme include chronic pain, fatigue, and brain fog. Doctors don't know what causes Lyme, and there is no diagnostic test or approved treatment for it. As a result, it has long been controversial, but the condition is gaining acceptance as research into it and other post-infection chronic illnesses like COVID grows. So that's a little, uh, an excerpt that goes into a description of Lyme disease and its spread. Um, But the article also includes several anecdotal stories about men and women who have recently become ill with the Lyme disease. And in many cases, um, it took a while for them to be correctly diagnosed and treated. And that's significant because this this disease has a window um, where if you're not treated inside that time frame, then you can end up with this kind of scary condition that 10 to 20% of people have that's called the chronic Lyme. And I partly picked this article because I just went through my third bout of Lyme in three years. And um, I'm just trying to, (laughs) yeah. And the first two times I had that bullseye rash, but the most recent time I didn't. And it took me a lot longer to um, figure out what was going on. So I'm just trying to educate friends and stuff about my experience because, you know, when you feel tired, which was my main symptom, it's hard to to think that it might be caused by something like this because we're all busy and being tired in, in New York is not uncommon. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, Janet. Yeah, no, I, I was lucky that I was able to get a blood test. And for our listeners, if, if you ever, um, again, the symptoms are usually feeling fatigue like you would if you had the flu or maybe just a little more excessive than usual and achiness. Um, in the examples of the women, some of the women in this story, they had a stiff neck or stiff joint starting. And basically, all you need is two weeks of doxycycline, which is not, um, you know, a very heavy duty antibiotic. It's something that's prescribed for a lot of different things, including I had it prescribed at one point when I was younger for acne, just to use it ongoing once a day. So it's it's not like a, a prescription that's gonna, you know, 
wipe you out or, or something extreme. Um, so it's, it's always good to just check um, and rule Lyme disease out if you think something's going on with you. And this notion of, I know for anecdotally from Long Island, the part of Long Island that I grew up, we didn't have deer um, until very recently. So they've keep moving yeah, from the yeah. east of the island and they don't, the deer don't carry the Lyme themselves, but they can transport ticks that do have the Lyme. Right. And we're seeing, you know, with, you know, with um, global warming and climate catastrophe, you know, things getting so hot, like it's really throwing everything off with animals, habitats being disturbed and bugs being, you know, like there was some weird, like freaky worm in the permafrost that <laughs> was just melted it's like and it's been having babies it's like why are you letting it why would you touch it leave it yeah alone. <laughs> it's like it's all of this stuff is being you know it's like a delicate balance and when stuff is out of whack like i know where my mother yeah. is in upstate new york like there there's places that never used to have like an issue with bears and now suddenly there's all these bears and deer like coming into people's backyards because their habitats are being messed up, like by fires, by the change warming, in temperature. You yeah. Know? So they're bringing all of that with them, whether it's ticks or we see with COVID and bird flu. It's like those mm -hmm. things also travel and mutate as because then they come into contact with animals that they never would have come into contact yep. with before. And now you have some super freaky duper bug. Yep. And the, in this case, it's connected also to vermin because mice and rats can apparently have the Lyme. So the ticks can be on mice and get the Lyme disease from them and then spread it. So it's like we've had other uh, conversations on the radio program about the problems of rats and mice in New York City. We know that's spreading. So if the deer are getting closer and the mice are here... And the ticks are spreading. It's it's a recipe for disaster. So it's something we have to arm ourselves against or just be vigilant to at this point. And it's it's not just spreading to New York City. It's going further up the northeast coast and further south. Um, the article even goes into like a, two really scary types of tick-borne illnesses even scarier than just regular Lyme, which were the Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. That one was further down in the south and out west, I believe. And that one can kill you if untreated. Um, and then the other one is called alpha-gal syndrome. And that's the strange form of a tick bite that actually results in an allergy to red meat. Um which I know in this country would cause a lot of people grief. Oh, uh, it, but it, that's it's spreading. Revolution. Right? <laughs> so, um, you know, just everybody be wary. And, and the article, I didn't get into the passages that focused on this, but a big key part of it was how doctors aren't, this is a shift in what they're, you know, used to diagnosing. So the doctors aren't always ready to diagnose someone with Lyme. So you might, as a patient, have to be vigilant about yourself and more insistent. Because I know one time I was in the urgent care and 
I had already had Lyme once, so I know what it felt like for me. And I had to kind of emphasize, I know you don't see a bite on me. I didn't see a tick anywhere, but I can feel it coming on. And sure enough, in the next week, I had a bullseye ring. And that was a lot like my experience worked out. But one of the women in this story, her um, doctors didn't think she didn't have a visible tick bite. There was no visible tick because also I didn't note this, but sometimes the ticks are tiny. Like you might think, oh, I would notice a big giant uh, tick on me that's the size of a pea. But that's not the size they are. They are smaller than a poppy seed. So really, really tiny ticks that can look like a freckle or even hide. Um, And so this poor woman was never diagnosed properly. And she ended up with this long-term chronic condition that her joints ache. She had to, you know, she can't participate in sports because she's too fatigued. And her whole life kind of revolves around this uh, illness. Yeah, and I wanted to say, too, um, because I'm glad you pointed out how you are someone who had the background knowledge, the ability, and, like, the resources to, like, self-advocate and to identify what was wrong. And it's really, it's unfair. And I think with the, I don't know if you saw about how the CDC is facing, like, over a billion dollars in cuts. So there's a lot of public health infrastructure. Over $1.3 billion um, is going to be lost in funds for the CDC. And That's terrible. It's horrible. And there's so much, like, with HIV prevention, so many different critical public health programs that are going to be decimated basically and like i don't know if you've seen how like syphilis is exploding i i i was syphilis isn't that like something the 19th century authors got (laughs) like that's not one we want to have numbers rising on that's a terrible i think when i think of syphilis i think of the um the tuskegee experiment yeah um, first and then i also think of like back in shakespeare's times when you would see the pictures of the people with the skin flap because their noses had fallen off because it had gotten so advanced you know and like congenital syphilis like babies being born with problems it's like through the roof it's like something like 300 percent jump in mississippi and like in other places it's it's disgusting and tuberculosis, aka consumption, which is like you're a, an artist wasting away under a bridge in Paris in the 1820s, that's making a comeback now. You know, and like I, I say all of that to say it's like the infrastructure that you need to like ensure that the public is safe from different diseases and infections, it's so important and it's really not fair. For the input, for the onus to be on an individual to have to fight to get treatment, because it's also a lot of this stuff. It's like you're not gonna. I wouldn't necessarily have any idea. Like I would just think I'm tired. Exactly. And then by the time you find out if you do, it's too late. You've missed the window. And it's like how many people are just in you know some state of messed up health damaged joints whatever and they don't know what the hell happened 
No, you're absolutely right. And a different anecdote from the story, this is a woman who had the most um, deadly disease caused by ticks called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Um, She was in North Carolina. She actually knew she had been bit by a tick. She put it on a, uh, she'd take the tick off. She taped it to an index card to bring to the doctor. And her doctors just dismissed her complaints completely. And she almost died. She actually got this simple, again, it's just doxycycline, a regular antibiotic that's used for a lot of different things. She only got it when she complained to a nurse midwife about what had happened and how she'd been treated by the doctors. And the nurse midwife, not specializing in Lyme, immediately prescribed her doxycycline. So you have to wonder, they didn't elaborate too much, but, you know, was she with male doctors? Who were the other doctors that almost let her die, even though she knew she'd been bitten by a tick? And all it would take was two weeks of this easy-to-prescribe antibiotics. We're really really in some... I would say it's a dark time because like I've even like we're now at a time, especially with COVID and everything, there's people that are now even some within the medical professions that feel empowered to be like openly antagonistic and hostile towards people that are proactive about their health or who try to self-advocate like and seeing all these cuts to public health coming down the pike, it's really, really scary because a lot of people are dependent on that. You know, like we still have hepatitis and tuberculosis and HIV, like contact tracing and tracking and people that do outreach. This is something with Lyme disease where like, you know, especially because there's a window of time within which you need to treat it. Like this is like urgent and it's summertime. Like people are outside. Like this is not so many people probably have no clue or it's not on their mind at all. And then 10 years later, it's like they're 40 something with like bad joints or like developing some freaky condition and they're just completely blindsided because of the lack of like robust public health measures and like announcements and easy to get treatment. It's like everything, it's like these barriers are going back up and it's like every man for himself. And it's, I don't like it one bit because I didn't know that Lyme could do the things you're describing. I knew it could do some bad stuff. Like I know Justin Bieber has it and he has- I didn't know that. He'll, like he has like some partial like paralysis in his face like his side of his face will droop and like yeah no it, it can get health. real extreme with the neurological problems eventually even cardiac problems so yeah no it's it's awful and and just like you said you know it's we have to be advocating on so many different medical related topics for yourself and you know, you don't want to use Dr. Google and think you're the expert, but you also want to, you know, and it's it's almost like a paradox because on the one hand, when the pandemic was coming around, people had their own notions of how to get better or they were just um, distrusting the doctors and not getting vaccinated. 
So I wouldn't advocate to think you know the solution to your own problem, but it's important to be informed so that you can ask the right questions and sometimes be emphatic in describing how you feel and what you think it could be. And both both sides of that are disappointing that the, the medical field doesn't have a connection to the people where we can trust them anymore. The medical system of the country has so many loopholes connected to insurance and costs and, and things like that. So it's, it's really hard to take care of yourself and your health in this country. It really, really is. And it, it shouldn't be, you know, it's like health is not an individual thing, you know, like it's a collective issue and the fact that it's so siloed and made to be an individual thing is really, it's not to our benefit. And you're talking someone like Justin Bieber. He's got wealth and access to presumably good doctors. And even he was untreated for this condition, it sounds like. So, and you know, there's so many things today, like with different viruses that at one point in time, or even still today, the colloquial day-to-day understanding of it is that it's no big deal, but there's more and more research coming out that, oh, actually this reactivates X, Y, and Z and -hmm. causes this problem in middle age or in old age, you know, and I think that as that information comes out more and more, it might change things a little bit where like, hey, we shouldn't be so lax about like, ah, he just was, he just had a fever uh, he just, it's like, no, like these are things we should really take seriously and not push people to just ignore it. You know, like it shouldn't be normalized to just like get over it or you're lazy or whatever. Like, um, Absolutely. And the diseases that we're seeing, you know, they're not going away. And with the global population and the movement of people and the meat markets of the world and the climate change and the spread of different animals in different zones. Like this is, these kind of problems are only going to grow. Right. Listen to your body. You got to advocate for yourself and there's no shame and, you know, go with someone. If you have a friend, a family member, sometimes it's easier for them to pipe up and say, well, this was it because you might not remember in the moment. But um, do what you can to keep yourself safe from Lyme. Like, stay away from those ticks. <laughs> Bug spray yeah. it up. Keep your skin covered. Um, so, yes. Yeah, check. Just check there. for them very thoroughly at the end. Yeah. You don't have to go into the deep woods to get them or anything. Right. Okay, you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our next musical break, this is War by Bob Marley and the Whalers, uh, recorded live in Boston, 1978. We'll be right back. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another Inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abundant. Well, everywhere is war. It's your war. And until there's no longer first class or second class citizens of. 
like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for the world news, uh, this information comes from a few different articles, uh, two from The Guardian, one entitled Swedish Prime Minister Extremely Worried as More Applied to Burn Koran. The other is Burning of Koran in Stockholm Funded by Journalists with Kremlin Ties. Uh, Another article in Al Jazeera entitled Korans Burned Outside Egyptian Turkish Embassies in Denmark. And from the BBC, Sweden's Quran burnings put freedom of expression law to test. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if um, if you've been following international news, there has been a string of Quran burnings in Sweden and Denmark, uh, including one in which a far-right nationalist group burned copies of the Quran in Copenhagen in front of the Egyptian and Turkish embassies. Uh, Sweden's prime minister, um, Ulf, Christerson uh, said that he's very worried that the that there will be dire consequences if more of these demonstrations go ahead in which the Quran is desecrated. Uh, the security service, this um, the security service SAPO in Sweden has said that the threat level of like a terrorist attack in Sweden is at a three on a scale of five, saying that there's an elevated threat during the crisis. Uh, but the head of the C- the security service said that um, there's been a strong reaction to recent events. Uh, Sweden's embassy in Baghdad was stormed and set on fire on July 20th by protesters who were angered uh, by a planned Quran burning. Uh, Sweden is in need of Turkey's backing to join NATO, and the Quran attacks are threatening that possibility since they've understandably offended many Muslim countries, of which Turkey is one. Um, there's been many other requests filed with Swedish police to get permission to hold protests to burn the Quran and desecrate it. Uh, Christensen said that the decision on whether or not to grant permission for these is up to the police. But again, he's worried that if they are granted, it's going to further elevate the risk of some sort of an attack in Sweden. Um, On Wednesday, Christensen and other Swedish officials said the country was the target of a disinformation campaign in which Russian-backed actors 
had attempted to damage the country's image by implying that it supported the burnings. Um, and back in January, there was a far-right politician and anti-Islam provocateur named Rasmus Paludin, who's a dual Danish and Swedish national. Uh, he set a copy of the Quran on fire near Turkey's embassy in Stockholm. Uh, Swedish media reported that his demonstration permit was paid for by a former contributor to the Kremlin-backed channel RT named Chang Frick. And this is a person who does regular media spots for the far-right Sweden Democrats. Um, Denmark and Sweden have said that they deplore the burning of the Quran, but cannot prevent it under rules protecting free speech. Um, the Swedish government is facing a difficult balancing act in defending far-reaching freedom of speech laws, while at the same time avoiding potential insult to Muslims. Uh, the anti-immigration Swedish Democrats party support helps to keep the right of center coalition in power, though it is not formally part of the government. Members of the Sweden Democrats, the biggest party on the right, have repeatedly warned about the Islamization of Swedish society and called for immigrants to adopt, quote unquote, Swedish values. Um, so, yeah, like I feel like it's very troubling that there's been this like proliferation of pe people seeking out permits specifically for the purpose of burning a minority's um, religious texts. Yeah, this has a lot of layers to it, political and social, because, you know, the movement of NATO to um, approve and add members is obviously something that resulted after the, the war between or the Russian attack on Ukraine broke out. And so, you know, it's a complicated balance of trying to approve these countries and get all of the other nations to um, accept them. And I know there's a history with Sweden and Turkey where the Swedes were, um, they were a place where a lot of Kurdish refugees fled from Turkey. And so for a time, Erdogan didn't want to allow Sweden to enter um, NATO because they har he said that they were um, giving harbor to terrorists in their country. Now, he, he kind of flipped on that and was ready to approve Sweden to join. And it wasn't clear what made him flip. Um, the U.S. was considering giving him special F-16 planes at one point. But now with this layer of like far-right factions, maybe some funded by Russian oligarchs with the, like, I, I don't, obviously, if people are trying to get um, permits to burn Korans, then it's not just a one case scenario with one person being paid off by a Russian oligarch. It's a, a problem and a, a racial problem for that country. But at the same time, it seems like there's political leverage that can be entangled into this based on the status of Sweden in regard to NATO. So very complicated and, and upsetting on multiple levels, because it's, you know, it's, it's not in the interest of the people of Sweden to 
fail to be approved to join NATO either. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, there's definitely, like, there's these higher level, thing, there's these things that are happening at the level above the average citizen's head that they may or may not even be thinking about when it comes to joining, but on a geopolitical sense, it is a big deal. But in their day-to-day life, like these animosities toward like a visible minority that is growing in your country or that you see as an other, like that is very real. So like the people that are at the higher level they can like do a puppet master thing where like they're pulling strings and pushing certain buttons that they know is going to generate a reaction that pushes things closer to their goal. And in the meantime, in your, you know, just you, you know, Joe Blow citizen, it's like, or refugee or migrant, like you have to worry about people feeling more emboldened to like beat you up because right. you know these burnings are like that's such a violent thing to be burning books <laughs> just violent in general burning books. yeah and then something so targeted at a community it's really yeah and i, I was interested like the bbc article um that i mentioned they go into a little more detail about like how the extent of sweden's freedom of expression laws and in that article it says under their law Gatherings can only be banned if they are a threat to public safety. Uh, Permission was given to an Iraqi Christian refugee last week. It was his second stunt in a month, although he stopped short of burning the Quran. Uh, Critics have pointed out that Sweden does have a law prohibiting incitement against ethnic groups, which has been in place since 1949 in response to the Holocaust. But experts say the Quran burnings targeted a book instead of people or individuals. So this reading of the law was not appropriate in the context of banning the gatherings, which I thought was like, that's a little, I don't know about that one. Yeah, that seems like it's a interpretation stretch. Like, I mean, what, how would you not be targeting that group when it's that book? Yeah, and it's like that's what it is about. Like, how could it not be about that? Like, and I guess they could be. They can also do like a semantic thing where, because you know, people who are of the Muslim faith can be of any race, or they're of many different ethnicities. Like, but Mm -hmm. it's not really. I do think that that's like a very dishonest reading, and it is like a double standard because I don't know if if it were a bunch of Muslims that were you know, as a group saying they were going to burn, you know, the, the flag of Sweden or they were going to burn the Bible or something. I don't think it would be, I don't think the reaction would be the same. And I feel like it's very obvious that the intention behind these acts is to be, to send a signal to these people that you, we don't think you belong here. We want them out you know, people are being very bold about it. And I do think people start with books and they don't stop with books. They're showing that they intend to go further and start attacking human beings. I mean, we know that the the Russians are, one of their goals is to push the buttons of, you know, like to play other countries on their own problems. They did it with the United States and, you know, they're trolling 
countries in, you know, informed ways of how do we rile up this country and cause it to internally fight, cause it to have conflict with other countries to our advantage. For sure. I mean, it's the oldest trick in the book. Like when they say divide and conquer, you see that here and abroad. I feel the worst for, you know, like you're already so vulnerable if you are an immigrant or a migrant or a refugee, that that things are hard enough. And then to have to see something like this unfolding, I can't imagine. Well, I can sort of imagine, you know, just what that feels like to have happen. Like it's really sucks. No, it's um, it's sad that two of our stories, parenthetically, are about you know, sim- symbolic hate crimes, on yeah, you know, one localized and smaller, and the other one on a larger national scale for Sweden, but with global implications. So right. it's it's in the ethos of of this time. Right. Um, so before we finish today, I just wanted to um, say a few words. Uh, so there was another famous person who passed away just a few days ago. Um, she was born Sinead Marie Bernadette O'Connor in Dublin on December 8th, 1966. And she converted to Islam in 2018 and changed her name to Shuhada Sadakat. Shuhada was an outspoken singer-songwriter. She was probably best known for her cover of Prince's song, Nothing Compares to You. Uh, As a young woman in Ireland, uh, as a teenager, she was sent to one of the notorious Magdalene laundries. Uh, If you've heard of those where, you know, wayward women and girls would be sent and many of them were very badly treated, very badly abused. Uh, And she spoke out in her adulthood against child sexual abuse in the Catholic Church and it being covered up. Um, Many people also know um, Sinead O'Connor because in 1992, uh, on Saturday Night Live, she was supposed to perform a different song, but she chose to perform um, what we played earlier, Bob Marley's song, War. And she changed the sixth and seventh verses of that song to until the ignoble and unhappy regime which holds all of us through child abuse, subhuman bondage has been toppled, utterly destroyed. Until that day, there is no continent that will know peace. Children, children fight. We find it necessary. We know we will win. We have confidence in the victory of good over evil. And when she sang the final word evil, she ripped up a picture of then Pope John Paul II saying the words, fight the real enemy. And then she threw the, the pieces of the picture down on the ground. Um, and that was more than 30 years ago that she took that stance. People were very nasty to her afterwards. A lot of famous people said a lot of horrendous things about Sinead O'Connor at the time. And, you know, as the years have gone by, she's come to be vindicated in speaking out about that issue. So... Just wanted to say a few words because, you know, being a truth teller and saying the right thing when it's not popular is not easy. Um, And I'm sorry to see that she passed away relatively young. She was only 56. But we hope that, you know, she's resting peacefully wherever she is now. Thank you for listening. Uh, Stay cool, stay safe. 
And um, thanks for hanging out, Janet. Thanks for having me, Jasmine. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. For our last song, this is um, I Am Stretched on Your Grave by Sinead O'Connor. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more Brooklyn-based community radio. Bye.